Hello guys, welcome back to Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks and happy Christmas. This is the last episode of 2022. I'm going to be back in the new year, but this week I'm with one of the best people I've ever spoken to. This is the illustrious Jen Gibb from Faith Lutheran College. Um, This episode is quote central. Jen goes off Um, I hope that you're going to get just as much validation and just as much sparkle from this conversation as I did. Um, Give it a listen. Let me know what you think over on Instagram at Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks Pod. And do follow Faith Lutheran College's journey at their website. That's in the show notes. Um, Have fun listening. So thank you so much for making time for this. I realize it cuts into your school day a little bit. Um, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. Uh, That's all good. I'm working from home, so I'm good. Oh, okay. All right. Great. (laughs) Well, I wonder if we could start then, Jen, with a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do and how you got to this point in your career, if that's okay. Okay. So I don't really have a, uh, I don't have a traditional journey at all. Um, I was a terrible student. I um, had a single mum. We moved a lot. Um, I was naturally pretty smart, cruised through school till about grade 10 and then just completely went off the rails. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't do very well in year 12. Uh, Didn't really have any teachers that I thought were inspiring. I couldn't really see the purpose. Um, So I left school. Um, and I worked in a shoe shop was my first job and I still love shoes and I, uh, became a manager of that shoe store when I was about 17. Mm. Uh, and then I left and moved to Weeper in far North Queensland with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. Um, and we lived in Weeper where I worked three jobs, uh, came back, got a job in IT, went to uni doing psychology. (laughs) (laughs) Um, then I got married and had my first baby and deferred study, uh, did a bunch of other things, ended up going back to uni after my fourth baby Mm -hmm. and she was six months old. I had four under eight. Wow. I went back to uni. I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. But my local university, um, was University of Queensland, offered a dual degree in behavioural studies and Bachelor of Education middle years. Right. So I knew I could get some credit for my first degree. So I went into that, did the first two years in behavioural studies, third year, and I kept saying, what if I hate teaching? What if I don't want to teach? Um, went out on my first prac. I was in my early 30s, went out on my first prac. Yeah. And, um got spat at and shoulder charged on my first day of prac and I thought this is what I'm meant to do with my life. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a special kind of person to say that. Yeah. 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 The first day of prac, definitely. Yeah. So I started, uh, I worked in uh, the state system in Education Queensland Mm. um, in a couple of tricky schools and then um, my wellbeing was really affected and. Um, so I made the move into the independent sector and uh, I've taught everything from year one to year 12. So uh, those year ones are the hardest, by far the hardest. Give me <laughs> eye-rolling teenagers any day. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so I started in primary, even though I was a middle-year specialist 
ended up working in the middle years um, for a couple of years, then became head of curriculum in the middle school. Yeah. Uh, then moved into the Lutheran sector and became a head of contemporary pedagogy, which was a new role that was created. Yeah. Which then led into a head of curriculum and now my director of teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. So I'm out of the classroom more than I would like. I only teach one class. Um, yeah. But as my boss keeps telling me, you can affect more children and more change by being a leadership role. Yeah. Um, so I do miss the classroom. I love teaching year nine. They're my favourites. Uh, I teach year nine maths, which I know people want to take my temperature when they hear that I teach year nine maths. Um, and I also teach senior psychology when I can. Mm. Amazing. So, yeah. I don't know how you can say that year nine maths is your calling. I can't. I honestly can't think of anything <laughs> year nine maths. Give me kindy kids all day, every day. Oh, no. Kindy to year no. two, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> they touch your feet. And they cuddle you. About it. Yeah, but they can't do anything for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Year nines, I I love that um, because they come to you already with a pretty good idea of who they are as learners. Yeah. And that can be a really negative kind of thing, particularly around maths. Yeah. You know, they can have felt humiliated or by maths and being able to get a kid in year nine and just love them through all of that mm. and watching them completely turn around and go, I can do this. Like that's yeah. the best feeling in the world really. Yeah. What um, What do you think it was, or actually let me rephrase that, what was it from or what has it been from your experiences as a student and in a school and not having a great time at school, what from that have you brought into your teaching? Um, I think I think a lot of teachers go into teaching because school worked for them mm. and they were good students. They actually loved school yeah. and they did well at school. Yeah. Um, I was that kid up the back rocking on my chair, unable to see the purpose, Yeah. talking a lot, you know, pushing back on teachers. And so I think I understand the importance of, the kid of being intentional and transparent in your practice. Mm. So teachers are very intentional around their pedagogy about and also the curriculum. What are we learning and how and they plan everything, but they don't always include the students in the reasoning behind that. So they're not transparent about why are we working in groups right now? Why am I getting you to talk about this? Yeah. And I think I was that kid that needed to know the why. And yeah. I was never given it. So I just thought, mm, well, I don't. I don't see the purpose. Yeah. Um, Whereas if I say to kids, I'm making you repeat this right now because the neuroscience says, or I'm making you work in a group because the neuroscience says, or, you know, if I'm doing a stand and share right now, because if you're disengaged, you're not learning. So if you give them the why, you're much more likely to get the buy-in. Absolutely. Why do you think it is, why do you think it's taken so long for teachers to include the why in learning? Is it just because we're not taught to do that when we go through teacher training? I think that's, that's, that's one reason. Uh, I think we're so caught up in, in what we're doing and, and we still very much, it's still very much a teacher led experience um, you know, the word pedagogy means teacher-centred. Yeah. Um, 
So it, it still is all around our plans. And I've done an observation on a teacher where she's actually said to her class, I've lost you, haven't I? They've said yes, but then she said, well, we've just got to keep going. Just uh, we'll be finished this in a minute. You know, we're so busy trying to get through our yeah. content and what we need to do. And mm-hmm. that's that's not a poor reflection on the teacher. That's part of the assessment-driven culture that we have, that if we don't tick off everything against the achievement standards and assess every single thing, yeah. we're not doing our job. And we don't always get to teach from the heart and spend the time on that why. Right. Um, so it's about understanding that just because we've taught it doesn't mean they've learnt it. Yeah. And to not get caught up in our plans yeah. and to actually, you know, make them active participants in in the journey. Absolutely. I think there's so many conversations happening right now in the last only, I don't know, three, five years about empowering children, empowering students within mm-hmm. their classrooms, within their school careers, within that experience. But I think I want to go back to something that you just said there about if we're not doing that, then we're not doing our job. And I think for teachers and especially teachers in your position at that kind of leadership level, there's a constant battle between really wanting to do your job to the best of your ability for your students Mm. and contending with all of the red tape and the people that say, well, if you're not doing this, then you're not doing your job. How do you balance that as a director of teaching and learning? Um, I think you just trust your staff. I don't know any lazy teachers. Mm. I don't know any teachers who get up in the morning and decide they're going to do a poor job by their students. Yeah. Every teacher I I work with cares. Um, It's just it's exhausting caring about that many people every day. <laughs> like when you yeah. when you think about like we care about them like they're our children. Yeah. And, you know, secondary teachers can have 150, 180 students that they're worried about. Um, and it's and it's absolutely exhausting. I think as leaders, you need to trust teachers know what to do. They just don't have the time to do it. And yeah. so we need to work out ways systemically that we can give them time and space. And that doesn't mean giving them an hour on a Monday afternoon after they've taught six periods straight and they've got nothing left in the tank. That's not the time no. to give them because they, they're they exhausted by that point. Yeah. And they just want a cup of tea and a lie down. I don't <laughs> know. You know, if, you do you do six periods straight with with teenagers and even little people, yeah. and it's just like, what do you want from me now, people? Yeah. Like I've got nothing left. Yeah, and I just think the load is too much. Yeah, and even if you just compare the way report reporting was done now compared to the way reporting was done when I was a kid, reporting yeah. was one sentence saying yeah. Jennifer t- Jennifer is not working to her potential or Jennifer talks too much in class. <laughs> yes. That's actually not what we ask of our teachers. Now they have to write a paragraph and they have to, you know, make sure that they're commenting on the learning objectives and do air comments. You know, let's be affirmative. Let's outline an improvement. Let's, you know, do a recommendation for what the expectations have gone through the roof. And yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think they need to go, you know, we need to have high expectations of our teachers. We want smart, capable teachers, but it is impossible for them to do that job in the time they have. Yeah. And that's what teachers keep telling us. And principals then are like, but I've, I, 
you know, the EBA says this or that, you know, the enterprise agreement says this and I've only got this much money and I can only have this many teachers and yeah. the timetable is a beast. It it If we don't work out a way to fix it, I think we're seeing it, that, that people are just walking away from teaching yeah. because they're just like this is too hard and the, the expectations are unrealistic. Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think at some point people above... Um, you know, the EBA leaders, the, the people that write the policies, the politicians need to spend some time in schools and be like, oh, actually, we didn't realise it was yeah. this much. Yeah. And and I think, you know, senior leaders need to own it as well because for a lot of us we haven't taught a full load for a while mm. and you lose touch with what that feels like. Yes. And yeah. so in my role it's really important that I advocate for teachers and we're always thinking about the well-being of teachers. and and not in a tokenistic way. So I'm not offering yoga and relaxation sessions on a PD. Yeah. Uh, not that those things aren't good for your well-being. They are. But most teachers I would, I know would say, can you just give me some time to do my work? <laughs> that will make me feel a lot better. <laughs> yes. Particularly thematic yeah. this week. We've obviously just had Are You Okay Day in Australia. Yeah. There'll be yeah. a lot of schools in the country offering little trays of cupcakes with the yellow toppers, which is lovely. What does a really effective Are You Okay Day for educators look like? I think, and and I know um, my team do this quite often, mm. I think just taking a playground duty off a teacher, walking up to them and saying, go and have a coffee, I've got this, or, you know, set your class up for the first 10 minutes, I'll come relieve you. You know, just those unexpected, you know, people wouldn't realise, average people would not realise how much 50 minutes means to a teacher. Yes. I'll take your class. You've got 50 minutes to yourself. Yeah. You know, um, those those kind of things. Or cancel a meeting that's not necessary. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not that hard. And I think sometimes as administrators, we've got our our checklists Mm. and we've got our agenda and we fill up their days with things when we have pupil free days and professional development days we fill up their days with our priorities instead of saying to them what what do you need just like we do I I think about it all the time in terms of a, a classroom so do I want my students in my classroom to be active participants and to have a voice yes I do same thing with my staff. Do I want them to be active participants, feel like they're in control, um, you know, they have agency, they're more engaged, the quality that they produce is going to improve? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Now, I have got a list of questions for, for you, but yeah. before I jump into them, I want to um, talk to you a little bit more about Faith Lutheran College and the amazing stuff that you've got happening there. Yes. Um, So for the listener, uh, Jen and I had a lovely conversation a couple of weeks ago, which was super exciting, where she told me everything that's going on. And I wonder if I could entreat you, please, to repeat it on the podcast. Tell Tell us about your wonderful school. Okay. Well, we're on a journey. First and foremost, we're not there yet. So uh, we're just, we're on a journey. We're probably about three years into that journey. Uh, And we have, uh, our principal uh, has done a wonderful job at casting the vision, um, which is where we we needed to start. And then refining our leadership structures to give our middle leaders the time and 
and space to actually be able to um, bring that vision to life, I guess. Uh, so we have rolled out this year our we're moving to phases instead of year levels. So we've rolled out our uh, foundation phase this year, which is we started in seven. Next year, we'll we'll roll into year eight. And so that's really that literacy and numeracy focus, but having a dedicated team of specialist teachers. If you teach in year seven, you only teach in year seven, so you can plan projects, um, but you've still got that ex subject expertise. So we're kind of trying to take the best bits about primary school and mix it with the best bits about high school um, as that transition into high school. And that will roll out in year eight next year. So the year eight team is busy planning together. So they don't go to department meetings. They don't go to other meetings. They go to meetings with their team mm. and they get to plan um, because we know in high schools it's very siloed. So maths never knows what science is doing, doesn't know what English is doing, doesn't know what humanities is doing. And even those teams don't get to plan together because they teach across multiple year levels. So we've it's been difficult, but we've made that's been our our thing. If you teach in those year levels, you only teach in those year levels. Yeah. So we've got very flexible learning spaces. We've got project based learning happening, but really that um that real commitment to li improving literacy and numeracy first and foremost in seven and eight. Um, now our exploration phase, we're in the middle of of that planning at the moment. That's where some really exciting work is is being done. So we have written some. Uh, cross-curricular units and some core elective units mapped to the Australian curriculum. Uh, but teachers, their semester units, everything's in semester units, and they are being pitched to our subject selection committee, which is made up of students. So, so, the, so the teachers, uh, the kids said we want a three-minute pitch and the the uh, teachers come in and pitch their subject. <laughs> uh, then the, the kids do a, uh, give them feedback and they are selecting their top 32 at the moment. We had yep. something like 44 subjects get um, submitted. It will then go to our middle leaders for the next round of selection to make sure they're really rigorous, they're mapped um, authentically against mm. the Australian curriculum, and then uh, we've created some uh, pathway validation um I guess, software to make sure that we're meeting all of the things we have to meet to be accredited and to make sure that um, we're preparing them well for our graduate phase, which is year 11 and 12. So the idea is that 9, 10, 11, 12 um, is a bit fluid. So students could choose in any of those year levels, could choose some of those subjects. Um, obviously, they're not worth QCE points, but those students could choose any combination of those yeah. things. Um we do. We believe every subject should have equal time in the timetable. So we have six. All students will only study six subjects at once, six periods a day, equal time in the timetable. So we're acknowledging those arts subjects, the sciences, because we we do think that all all students um, have talent and should it should be equally weighted. Mm. So that's what we're doing. Um, absolutely incredible. And how have what kind of feedback have you had from the student body about this journey, about the change, about some of the pitches of, that you've had? Yeah, sure. The, the students asked the most incredible questions when the teachers were pitching. Like they were asking budget questions and logistical questions and um, really questions around gender and, you know, really critical um, analytical kind of questioning that was going on. Uh, mm. We had students on the committee from year seven to year 12. And obviously the sophistication of those questions 
there were some sophisticated questions coming out of the year 12s. Uh, yeah, I, I, they're so excited. They the, the seniors were feeling very ripped off that they've missed this and they're not actually <laughs> going to get to benefit from it. The year sevens were just so excited. They're like, how are we just going to pick? How are we going to pick? Because there's so many things that we want to do. Um, so I just think having passionate teachers with real expertise in those areas. So, for example, when we first started this, uh, my principal is an ex-detective. So I asked him to write an exemplar unit to show teachers what we were trying to do. Um, And so you can imagine having, so he's written a detective investigations cross-curricular unit. I want to do that one. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's mapped to civics and citizenship in the humanities Australian curriculum and also English. It um it looks amazing, uh, and he was shaking when he pitched it to the kids. Uh, he was absolutely shaking. So if if you know kids want to choose it, yeah. And so to have a real detective deliver a course in detective investigations, imagine the quality of the teaching and the the content knowledge that they're going to get. There's yeah. no textbooks. So the learning, will every resource will be created from scratch. We've got a, a licensed ex-real estate agent who has written a real estate matters unit Amazing. mapped to maths and English. Yeah. Um, so really exciting that we're going to get some really quality teaching and hopefully reignite the students' love of learning but also um, get them re reconceptualizing who they are as learners. Mm. So hopefully re-engaging some of those kids that already come to us in secondary school, rolling their eyes, thinking school's boring. And the only reason they come is to hang with their friends, go to the tuck shop. And the best part of the day is the bell at three o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> you said something interesting to me about the um, social economic area of your yes. school and yes. why this is such a good journey for those students. Yeah, so um, our college is in a rural area and it is a, a classified as a low socioeconomic area. And one of our our core values, I guess, is is those aspirations. You know, we want we want kids to really aspire to be all they can be. And that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean university. All I want for our kids when they leave is that they have choices. And that they're happy and they're curious and they and they're good 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 humans when they when they leave us. Yeah. Um, so that's really really important to us. And I think um, because a lot of our kids have um, not all of them, but some of them have parents where they didn't they didn't really progress through formal education to senior. A lot of them left at year nine, mm-hmm. um, so they they're not necessarily experiencing those conversations around that higher education. So whether it's an opportunity to keep students engaged for longer, to explore different pathways and find out what really lights their fire, that's probably what we're trying to do. Fantastic. And the I guess one of the key things about this new curriculum is that you're not making it mandatory across the whole student body, is no. that right? No. So there are still the traditional pathways uh, that we would normally offer for those parents, students and families that school works for in its traditional sense. There are school, not everything about the current model doesn't work for all students. Like some of our students are really successful and that traditional model works for them. Yeah. But it, but it's a small percentage of kids. Mm. And we are seeing higher and higher levels of disengagement 
we're seeing higher and higher levels of behaviour in classrooms across the country, across the world. Mm. Teachers will tell you behaviour is a problem for them. Um, And so, but when kids are engaged and they really want to learn something, you don't get that behaviour. And I'm not saying all behaviour is uh, as a result of disengagement, but but I would say the vast majority absolutely is. That's the thing. And I think the bit that you can influence from that, you're doing something about, and that's so exciting. And actually, yes. if I can speak for a lot of teachers out there, it's really empowering to know that there is a pathway to mm. change. There is something mm. we can do. Um, mm. so for those schools that are looking to make that change, what kind of advice would you have for them? The principal needs to be driving it. If your principal is not on board, and this is not coming from your senior leaders. So what we see quite often is teachers who are trying to do things differently and they do it in their classrooms and, and they have little spot fires happening. Right. But eventually they get tired and they just give up and go back to the same old, same old yeah. because they feel like they're, they're not getting anywhere with it. There's no larger scale change. Mm. So it's it's I, I hope senior leaders and principals are prepared to actually, this is what's going to fix their school. Yeah. You know, actually writing cool programs that teachers love to teach, that kids want to want to choose and want to do, that will do more than any behaviour management process, any relational management policy, mm. all of this energy we're putting into you know, are we banning mobile phones? Are we, you know, are we using Glasser? Are we doing detentions? Are we, you know, all of this stuff. If we yeah. actually just write some stuff that kids think is relevant to them mm. and give them a say, hopefully we'll be able to gather some data once we once we actually implement this. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully that that will solve some problems. So it has to come from the top. It really does. And if if the top isn't on board, I would say find a school whose top is on board. If you're getting frustrated to the point where you're going to leave the profession, there are schools out there doing really cool stuff. So have a look. Um, You know, in every advertisement for teachers that we put out there, we say for teachers that want to do school differently. Yeah. And we want to be a mainstream school. We've got 800, we've got over 800 students. We're not a small boutique because the frustrating thing for teachers is they look at schools, um, you know, at some of those alternate schools mm. that are doing incredible things and go, how can I do that? They've got 80 kids. Yeah. How can we do that? Yeah. You know, we can't do that when we've got 1,000 kids. And And you're right, you can't do it the way that they're doing it. We're not a boutique school. You've got to look at ways that you can put the systems and structures in place and it's a journey. Like this is not going to be rolled out fully until mm. 2024. So this is this is a process that you've got to dedicate at least five years to Yeah. and you've got to roadmap it and you've got to be patient with it and yeah. you've got to get staff on board and move together. Yeah. Like there's lots of hard work like, you know, I had a bit of a mini panic the other day and I'm like, oh, I feel like, you know, it's it's just all on top of me. Yeah. And so then we just call a meeting and we roadmap it and then we work out the action plans and we actually feel like, okay, there's a lot of work to be done, 
But as long as everybody's on the same team and everyone understands the direction, teachers aren't scared of hard work. No. They're, they're frustrated with constant change and pointless work. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard anything more appropriate. So what you're saying to us, Jen, is that it actually takes a lot of planning and thought around changes yes. in education. You can't yes. just make a new policy yes. and expect everyone no. to be on board. No. Shocker. No. no. <laughs> and, you've, and you've got to be able to articulate the why. Yeah. Because we yeah. all know that when there's a why, how quickly did the teaching profession learn how to teach remotely oh, when we overnight. went into lockdown? Yeah. Because they needed to. Yeah. So if you can't articulate why you're making these changes. So when I present to College Council, I put our god-awful year 10 results up on the on the screen yeah. and I particularly look at our year 10 boys mm-hmm. and I say, we are failing these boys. We mm-hmm. are failing them. We need to do something differently. Yeah. So if you can't sh- use the data and the research to show stuff, why you're doing what you're doing, mm. don't expect the buy-in. And then if you don't trust them and hear, so we had so many consultation sessions about this. We had them giving us feedback. You know, we roadmapped it and then went to consultation and then went to consultation and we didn't make any of the consultations compulsory. Mm. None of them. We didn't do it at staff meetings and make everyone sit there. We said, come along, we will feed you. Yeah. And we put food on and we sat and talked like grown-ups, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then if those people that don't want to join the conversation, well, they've had an opportunity. Mm. They, you know, they can't say we weren't consulted. We we, you know, we we did this fully. Yeah. Um, I think you've got to take your time with it. You've got to do your research, you've got to be collecting data, you've got to be hiring people that believe in it, because a lot of teachers are quite happy in the traditional system. Mm. Um, In some schools, teachers still are of the mindset that, you know, they want to teach in rows, they want to teach the curriculum as it is intended Mm. and they will test and they, you know, they're very focused on that traditional approach. And if that works for your school and that works for your students and your parents, great. There's Mm. room for everybody. Yeah. But that's not our school. You know, we have kids with really low literacy levels that just float through year after year after year failing. Mm. So we're trying to do something different and no amount of intervention or, you know, it's it's not working for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's, I, and most importantly, it's not working for the kids and the kids exactly. are telling us that through their behaviour. Yeah. I love what you said just then about, showing those results uh, showing the results um from the year 10 boys and instead of saying these kids are failing the phrase is we are failing these kids yes and that's yes. such a switch around from education 20 years ago 10 years ago mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing constantly speaking to teachers in my job and through the podcast it's amazing that teachers are recognizing this every day. They're recognizing and they're calling out the failings of the entire system and genuinely working to change the fundamental features of it. And mm. I mean, look at what you guys are doing. It's incredibly mm. changing the face of what those kids are experiencing. It's it's I, amazing. I, I guess the challenge for teachers 
is they don't have control over the timetable. No. They don't have control over their load. They mm. don't have control over those larger decisions. Yeah. Um, so, but there are schools out there that are doing this. And once we can implement it, if we can collect some really good data and start showing people that it works, could, because I'm going to be honest, we don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. The data we've got so far from our year sevens and our year eights is going really well, mm-hmm. but the, we have no data on these cross-curricular units yet. We haven't mm-hmm. done it. It might fall flat on its face. Yeah. But at least I've tried something. You know, yeah. at least we haven't just gone, oh, well, this is it. Exactly. You know, we've tried something. And, and honestly, we can't make it worse. You know, well, we've got kids anxiety and depression and hating school refusal um we've got kids that are pushing back in the classroom i don't know what needs to happen for people to recognize that that the teaching education is in crisis yeah no you're right um are you nervous at all that those children that then go on to tertiary education into university are you nervous that that system will will almost be the complete reverse of what they've experienced at FLC and then they're disengaged again. I think if you think about the neuroscience and their brain and what the prefrontal cortex, the, the changes that the growth that's happening as they move into their, you know, late teens, early 20s, we all know that we are, you know, our brain grows, we're more able to self-regulate we're more able to kind of push through things that we we think aren't particularly useful. <laughs> um, so I think the skills that they will gain, they'll still be able to use. Mm. But I think though, particularly those years in nine and ten, which is why we've put it there. Like we don't have a lot of wriggle room in eleven and twelve because we have oh. general applied and vet, QCE, ATAR. We recognise that. Mm. Um, but in that nine ten space, that's where we need to. That's where we need to capture them. Yeah, that's where we need to have them going into year eleven with a very different view of themselves and a very different approach to learning. So that's that's the goal. All right, I'm going to start on my list of questions that I've got then, and my first one, I guess, is we could go back to kind of teaching methods within the classroom. So I don't know if you want to think about um, when you had more of your week within the classroom or whether this is something that you can talk about with year nine maths, for example. But the question is, what's something that you do now in teaching that you didn't do when you first started teaching? How has your teaching um, method changed? Um, I think I think I take the pressure off myself now more than I did when I first started teaching. Yeah. You know, you are so hell bent on, you know, we've got to get through this work and I've got to make this student get this done. And I've got to, you know, I remember, do you remember that um, famous TED talk that Rita Pearson does um, where, you know, she's marking that child's work and she gives them a smiley face (laughs) and, you know, she says, well, you got three right, you know, which is three more than, you know, I I think I've taken the pressure off myself. Yeah. Because I've recognised that, um, a child may not let you teach them today and by being confrontational and by damaging that relationship, 
by using your power to try and coerce that child into giving you something, you're actually not getting anywhere and no learning is actually happening. So I think I've learned to just, you just keep loving them and you just keep being gentle and kind and giving them, like making it accessible, still making, you know, trying to hold them accountable, Mm. but understanding that the world isn't going to end if they don't get that exercise or that problem finished today. (laughs) So I don't get so wound up about, about that. I recognize that you know, we all have good days and bad days and very few adults can work for six hours straight with a couple of breaks and be on the whole time. Yeah. Yet we expect the adolescent brain that, what does Nathan Wallace say? He says the prefrontal cortex is closed for renovations. He always says that. <laughs> um, uh, we expect them to be able to be on for six hours a day. Yeah. No. 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 Clever. No. So I think I use a lot more... Um, I'm not worried if my lesson plan, you know, takes a little bit of a a deviation from where we're supposed to go. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I think that goes back to what you were saying about um, how we care for so many students every day. Mm. There is so much unseen love and care in teaching that mm. a lot of people outside the profession don't really truly understand Mm. Um, and I think it's, I mean, those relationships are just the foundation of teaching and learning, right? If you don't have mm. that, then don't expect anything else to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. I think we care about them even long after we teach them. Oh, definitely. You know, like yeah. I've I've had students graduate and and ones that are really, really troubled and I still worry for them, you know, and they will still reach out to me years after I've taught them. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you know, you have those relationships for life, I think. I think so. I think so. I mean, it's been uh, 16 years since I left high school and I was lucky enough the other day to interview my former English teacher. Oh, I had wonderful. Her in year eight, and she's the reason that I became a teacher. And it yeah. was so good to see her and she hasn't changed mm. at all. But it was like, it was <laughs> like a real like warm, fuzzy moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, next question, and I don't know if you're going to get into trouble for this, but what's something in your classroom that shouldn't be there? I think whether we mean to or not, learning is so assessment-driven, mm. so we wave it like a stick. <laughs> you better concentrate. This is going to be on your exam. Yeah. You know, um, we use that grade on the report card to motivate learning. Yeah. We do it as teachers. We shouldn't do it. We do it. And then we and then we will complain that we're that it's assessment driven. <laughs> it's actually coming out of our mouths. Yeah. Um yeah, I I would like sometimes to just not have to follow the unit plan to the letter. And you know, I understand assessment is necessary. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I don't think it's authentic Mm, yes agree how are you going to do assessment with the new curriculum with the new courses Um, all different ways all different ways Mm -hmm. so I know in the detective investigations they're actually going to do um like interviewing a suspect and they're going to do a mock trial I am so jealous right now yeah 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 that's amazing yeah so (laughs) There's some there's some really cool ideas about how they're actually going to um, to assess some of their subjects. 
Um, <laughs> and when actually when he was pitching when he was pitching his course, he started off with the law and order. Dun, 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 dun. And then he had a student set up and he actually pitched his course with an interview. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So there, there's a, a really, look, and some courses will have traditional kind of assessment, mm. um, but some of them were uh, like there's a community agriculture um, course that's got up and they're planning on supplying the tuck shop with fresh produce from their gardens. Yeah. So um, they're negotiating prices at the moment. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, yeah. What do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of teaching? Uh, I think that we have these lots of holidays and that we finish work at 3 o'clock <laughs> uh, and that we just need to stop whinging because the rest of the world only gets four weeks. Yeah. And my answer to that is the rest of the world gets to go to the toilet when they need to and can make a cup of coffee when they need to and yeah. can also go to the bank if they need to. We yes. cannot go to the bank. The no. bank is closed. We have to take a sick day to go to the bank. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. we're not allowed to just do that. I think definitely uh, I think people underestimate how exhausted we are. Mm. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost just sounds like lip service now, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, it, oh, they do, I, th- I do think people think we complain. Yeah. And it's like, come follow me for a day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the face-to-face time with your students. It's the getting there at 7.30 and having the daily fight with the photocopier and then finding out that someone's put something in your classroom that you need to deal with and then the playground duties and then, oh, you've got a staff meeting and a parent wants to speak to you and, by the way, have you finished marking that and all of that. And all of a sudden you've done 70-hour weeks and people wonder why you've got bags under your eyes the size of Woolies bags. It's ridiculous. And and you can't get out of your pyjamas for the first week of holidays. I used to say to my children when I was teaching full load, I used to say to them, first week of holidays, we're not going anywhere, don't ask me for anything, I'm in my pyjamas. Leave um, me alone, yeah. bring me a glass of wine every now and again, just put the TV on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really tough. And I think all of those processes that are happening simultaneously you know you're watching the kids in the back corner you're monitoring all the devices you're trying to do your explicit teaching and your learning intentions and your success criteria and you're doing exit tickets and you know show where you you're teaching the general capabilities and where are they on the literacy numeracy progressions and it's so complicated yeah um and it's a well it is a school's art complex adaptive systems with so many moving parts. I had a funny conversation. I've got a beautiful um, girl that I work with. Uh, She is an admin person that helps me and also um, the director of learning communities. And she said to me, it's her first school. And she said to me, I thought that this job I would be slowing down. And I went, "Mm, no. She said, I didn't think, I didn't think it would be this busy. (laughs) so I don't think people I don't think people get it I I think people think school is what it felt like when they were students Mm. that's the only way they can see what (laughs) that they can think about what it is like to be a teacher Um, you know and then 
dealing with parents is is scary, mm. you know, because parents are very emotional and rightly so about the most important thing in their life, which is their child. Yeah. And if they feel that their child has been wronged or misunderstood, they're going to react emotionally. And sometimes teachers and our young early careers teachers particularly cop the brunt of that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and that's very unnerving for them. Um, some schools and some classrooms is a is a physically scary space, not safe for teachers. Um, you know, we've got big boys in high school and 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 girls that will intimidate teachers. Um, it's hard. It's yeah. really hard. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is a. It's a lot. It's. Um, mm. I've been out of the classroom for a while, and I think I forget how complex it is. Mm. Um, and I don't. I have infinite respect for teachers. I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to. I want to make sure the rest of the world knows what we do and why we do it and how we do it. So there's a little mm. more understanding there. Um, I think we need to make more documentaries. Oh, like that's I think, a good idea. I think we need to actually go inside some schools and actually <laughs> video what's going on in them and what our teachers are trying to do and what their days actually feel like. Yes, that's yeah. great. Awesome. Yeah. It might help people to understand when, you know, there's an irate parent on the phone and you burst into tears at the end of the phone conversation what the day actually feels like. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of teachers constantly on the edge of tears at the moment. And I know other industries cop it from people as well. Sure. Um, I like you know, like nurses probably would have a very similar experience. Sure. In lots of ways. Um, yeah. But it's that res- that weight and that responsibility of of the growth and development of those young people that are in our care that we take so seriously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 And you know what? Nurses have probably got their own podcast. This is about teaching. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, correct. (laughs) All right. So next one is what's your biggest teaching pet peeve? Okay. So I don't like student blaming. Mm -hmm. So I, I need teachers, I need my teachers to dig deeper. Yeah. Um, So I'll give you an example. I had a year 12 student last year who plagiarized. Mm-hmm. And I was head of curriculum. We could have just given him zero, yeah, and he would have failed senior. But when you dig deeper, that boy actually he mm-hmm. ended up diagnosed with anxiety, depression, AD, undiagnosed ADHD, yeah, and his brain could not work. And so he plagiarized all of these. And the first, the way it showed itself was through the work. Yeah. So sometimes when we see what appear as academic issues, there's actually much deeper causes. Oh. So I need people to look at the child and dig deeper and try to get to the root cause of what is causing this child to fail, what is causing this child to misbehave, what is what is at the cause because there's always something. Yes. Um, so that's one thing. I, I don't like it when... People talk negatively about students. Um, I love the naughty ones. They're my specialty. Um, I always say that's because I was one. Yeah. Uh, again, teachers who who don't recognise the power of their words and the damage that they can do. Mm. Um, you know, I've seen some things where teachers will read results in ascending order. Yeah. Or 
you know, I'm going to put this, they think, or they will put kids in ability-based groups th- thinking they're doing the right thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, I hear them calling them, oh, the lowies. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that kind of stuff really presses my buttons. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't think there's ever any intention, I but I just think not understanding the damage that that does long-term yeah. to students. Um, they will remember your words and even the way you look at them, they will remember that. So um, if if I have a student that I feel like I'm not naturally gelling with, I try so much harder with that student. I never, ever, ever want them to think that I don't like them. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Um, and I mentioned before leaders who forget what it's like to teach a full load. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Have you Put them up- on a day of supply. Make oh. them do a day of supply. I, I do think um, leaders need to teach. Yeah. Principals, I think, I know they're busy people, but I still mm. think that they're better if they have a class. Yeah. It keeps them in the game. They 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 feel it. Yes. Um, my principal took my class today. Yeah. While I was away. How was that? Have you had any feedback yet? He was late to class. Oh. And the kids shouted at him. <laughs> Did you forget about us? <laughs> <laughs> and then he had to answer oh, to wow. me because he because he left my babies unattended yeah. for 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, yes. So they're probably my 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 big things. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Lots. <laughs> um, so my next one is what was your I've made it as a teacher moment? <laughs> I haven't had one. I'm not, I haven't made it. <laughs> no one makes it. What do people answer this question with? Well, we haven't made it. I'm still, no, no way. Look, probably if I could read, the most rewarding moment of my career was watching those teachers pitch their courses to the kids and the kids fully engaging with amazing questions and um, watching that day was was the best one of my career so far. Actually seeing something happen that might change the way we do things, actually seeing it happen because I just got to the stage where I'm like, I've been reading about this stuff since the early 2000s. Yeah. And no one's doing much. Yeah. So actually seeing something happen was super exciting. Oh, God, I can imagine. How many students did you have in the room? How many were they pitching to? There was probably about between 15 and 20. Okay. Students. Yeah, from every year level. So we probably had three, we probably had two or three kids from every year level. So we might yeah. have had more than that. Yeah. We fed them really well. That made them very happy. We, we yeah. gave them lots of food. Nice. Um, it was they were big long days, like they yeah. had to stay engaged. Um, and because we have our Wednesday program where we don't do traditional classes on a Wednesday, mm. um, they're at, that's our project day. Um, they came out on a Wednesday to do that. So they didn't miss any learning to be engaged in that process. Yeah. So, amazing. yeah, it was super, that was, that was super exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wish yeah. I that. It yeah. just sounds incredible. Such a great process yeah. to be a part of. Yeah. 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 Oh. And they'll repitch every year. Like yeah. we will, we won't just keep running the same. Like if, if it's, I mean, and not all of those, even though we offer it, they may not all get up. 
because yeah. not enough kids in the, may choose it. Um, but the ones that missed out, we might say repitch for 2025. Yeah. And the kids give them all the feedback about why they didn't choose it. Yeah. So they can then go away and redevelop the unit. Yeah. So they might say the title wasn't engaging. There was too much assess. Like these kids were going, there's too much assessment in your unit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's there is it. too much assessment. You're, you've planned too much. Yeah. This isn't doable. And so they've kind of, some of them said this is not mapped to the Australian curriculum and it doesn't prepare us for senior. Like that's <laughs> that what they were teaching. That is terrifying to listen to. Like half of me is going, what do you know about curriculum? And the other half of me is like, oh, my God, well, how do I even teach these kids anymore? <laughs> yeah, because they the, the year 12s were saying, I can see the links to senior courses or I can't see the links to senior courses. Wow. So the, the year 12s and 11s were really important to have them in there. Yeah. Um, the, funnily enough, their first question was always about the assessment. So that's what the 11, 12s, that's all they think about. Yeah. They go straight to the assessment. Yeah. And they're like, mm, you know, and they were really pushing back on the whole portfolio thing. Really? Because, you know, portfolios have become this cool thing, right? But what's actually happening in schools is they're just taking really small summative pieces that they do every two weeks and calling it a portfolio. Right. So the kids just feel like they're being constantly, they're constantly testing. Yeah. So every time someone would, a teacher would pitch and say, and it will be a portfolio style assessment, the kids would go, oh. (laughs) Because they're like, that just means we've got like five tests instead of one. Yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> over it. They are over the portfolio scholars. <laughs> <laughs> Try again, teachers. Yeah. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'd like to um I'd like to volunteer as the suspect in the court case assessment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that'd Excellent. be awesome. We yeah. will we will we will get you out for that. We will okay. definitely get you out for that. You can love come. That. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, just before we finish, I have a question that I ask everyone that comes onto the podcast, and we might have covered this answer already, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Imagine that you get a phone call next week on a Monday. Jen, there's been a whole shit fight. We don't have a Minister for Education anymore. We want you to step in. What is the first thing that you change about education? Okay, I would probably I would probably halve teachers' loads. Their actual contact loads yeah uh, and I know that just cost that's just money that's just meaning employing more teachers yeah so instead of you know so some teachers will teach five six classes specialist teachers will teach nine classes mm. um I would have it give them more planning preparation time give them more collaboration time yes. um that's the first thing I would do time is teachers currency um they just need lighter teaching loads so they can engage in quality planning, quality assessment writing. The yeah. reason why teachers, if teachers are teaching a unit that they know is crap and using assessment to, um, instruments that they know is crap, mm. that's because they haven't had time to rewrite it. Yeah. And the time that they do get, they're not they're not in the headspace to be able to do it. It's not when they're feeling creative. And that's why teachers do it on their holidays. Yeah. And then they come back tired because they've spent the last week of their holidays rewriting a unit. Yeah. So if I, I think if I could change one thing for teachers, I think that's the one thing 
yeah. that we do. Another thing we do do at our school, which is amazing, it's the first school I've been to that does it. Um, have you heard of the PERMA, PERMA model? Yes, vaguely. Like the positive engagement, Martin, yeah. yeah, Martin Seligman. So it's well-being. It's a well-being framework. Yeah. We have a PERMA pantry and a PERMA fridge, <gasps> which um, gets stocked once a week and anything that's in there, it's got meals in there for teachers. If they haven't had time to pack their lunch or they've eaten their lunch and they're still hungry, we've got a pantry that's full of things, we've got a fridge that's full of things, wow. and it's just our PNF actually pay for it. Wow. Yeah. And one of the um one of our beautiful office ladies, they go and do the shopping once a week. And they always say they know when it's end of term because there's no sweets left. <laughs> All the sweet things go first. Um, but you know, there's yogurts and granola and you know, yeah. all sorts of things in there for teachers. Oh, okay. First of all, yeah. what would we do with our office and admin assistants in school? Oh, oh we'd be lost. They're, just, they're the eyes and ears. And also our um our learning assistants are amazing as well. Yeah. Eyes and ears of the of the school. Yeah. Yep. Surrounded by angels like that in our yeah. schools. It's amazing. Secondly, how do you ever have to um advertise for any other teachers you must be beating them off at the door stuff like that Um, well I think probably what makes it hard for us to get staff sometimes is our location Mm. um because we are rural so we're probably um 70 minutes out of Brisbane okay I would say maybe yeah um it yeah so it's a bit of a commute Mm. Um, it's an easy commute and it's a beautiful bush campus. We have cows and we have sheep and we have goats and we have chickens. Um, yeah, so it's it's a lovely, lovely school. Yeah. Um, but our location, our location makes it tough. However, our location, I think we've got a really supportive parent body and a really supportive college council. Mm. We probably wouldn't be able to take these risks if we were in Brisbane or on the Gold Coast or in some of those different areas. Yeah. So the fact we are where we are is allowing us to do this. Yeah. We've got the trust of our community. Um, we're actually having a big community barbecue in a couple of weeks and inviting all our parents and it's called the Future of Faith. So we're going to talk, invite them into the vision and, and talk about a lot of the things I've talked to you about. So mm. they're fully aware of, of the direction that we're going. Yeah. Um, so that's happening in a couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, we have had a lot of teachers contact us and want to come and work for us. Yeah. Um, I think we're really, it's not a hierarchical school. Mm. We have a new, we, ha- we hired a new psychology teacher the other week and she said, I've seen more of um, the senior leaders at your school, at this school in the last week than I did in the entire time I was at my last school. <laughs> so we just always, we're really accessible. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's probably key. And um, we've collected some data. Whilst our teachers are tired, our data is telling us they're happy, Good. which is different to what we're hearing from other schools. Yeah. So they're tired and it's a big job and reporting sucks and deadlines are shit and all of that stuff, but largely they're happy and they feel well supported. Um, so that's that's key. Um, like I have no problem if I've got a teacher that's melting down and saying I can't get through this marking, I will go to I will go to the director of operations and say I need her off class for a day. Yeah, she needs to just sit and mark, just make it work. Yeah. So we do that for our teachers. Amazing. Um, the problem is teachers don't always want to admit that they can't do it. 
sure or that they need help so yeah. it's cr- also creating that culture of modeling you know like i'm working with my leaders to say there is nothing cool about being the last car in the car park mm. if you need to work from home you work from home um you need to and as women too um I heard this. This is great. I've taken this on board. We need to leave loudly. So yes. with when we need to leave at 3 o'clock, women will go, I've just got to go and pick the kids up. And we yeah. do it in this apologetic way. Yeah. Whereas we need to just go, I'm off now. I'm yeah. going to go and get my children. I'm not doing any work tonight. You know, and we've got to model that as leaders for yeah. our teachers. I so. love that. I've heard so much in the last couple of weeks about this whole quiet quitting thing going around on TikTok and Instagram and all of that. But no, scrap that, leave loudly, stand up for yourself, advocate for your needs and for your gender and for your children, your family situation. Absolutely. The hard part for us though, and for teachers will say this, if I don't do this tomorrow, I'm going to pay for it tomorrow. Yeah. So if you don't work back, and get your planning done or get your marking done or whatever, the work just doesn't sit quietly and wait for you tomorrow. You're in front of you're in front of a year nine math class and you've got no plan. You know? Yeah. So I also understand that. It's very mm. easy for people to say that aren't teaching a full load, oh well, don't work till nine o'clock at night. Well, I have to, otherwise tomorrow is going to be a shit show. Quite quitting can't really work for us. Because we can't do our jobs unless we work outside of hours, which yeah. sounds, re- which is why if I was the education minister, I would halve their loads. I would give education much more money and I would let principals, you know, lighten the load for teachers. Yeah. Because I think principals feel it. I yeah. think they feel it. They just, their just hands are tied. Um, yeah. In a, in a lot of systems, they, they don't have the autonomy mm. um, and they see their teachers hurting, but. What can they do about it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's just, mm. there isn't that freedom. There isn't that financial mm. freedom, I guess. Um, everything's tight. I would also, I would also order for the, you know, they've just released version nine, but. <laughs> Go on. Australian curriculum needs to, <laughs> a machete taken to it. I know. I was so hopeful at the last update and then no. Nah. Okay. Yeah. And then I hear that, and I could be wrong, but the last update I heard was that they may be adopting and adapting. So don't be too quick to roll it out in its current form because we may adopt and adapt. Great. So I've just told my teachers to hold, just (laughs) hold at 8.4, people, just hold. Just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it, and, and and that's the problem and that puts pressure on the teachers because they feel like they have to get through all of that. Yeah. And it's yeah. not doable. It's just no. not doable. Jen, you've been an absolute gem to talk to. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been fun. I hope I didn't, you know, I ramble a bit, so hopefully I didn't That's all right. Much. That's that's why we do this, right? Just, there isn't <laughs> enough time to ramble about the things that we want to ramble about. When yeah so that's right um, that's right I hope you rambled about the things that you want to ramble about yeah yeah I just I just would like teaching is such an amazing career I just hope we don't get to the stage where as teachers we can't recommend it to young people mm. I hope we don't just get so you know we just don't get 
so distraught and so exhausted that we're like, I wouldn't want my child doing that. So yeah, I hope mm. not. There are so many cool things that we can do with education and seeing mm. the next generation is one of the best bits, I think. Mm. And we can have a lot of fun and we do have a lot of creative freedom in parts of the job. Um, yeah. Yeah. And making those connections that, like you said, often last a, a very, very long time for years yeah. outside of their school career is a big part of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, a pleasure. Come back anytime. I would like an <laughs> update, please, when you finally roll out in 24. Yes. Yes, awesome. we, we will. We'll, we'll be, because I'm a data person, being yes. a math teacher. Yes. So, um, yeah, so we'll be, we'll be tracking things really, really closely. Amazing. Well, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. You take care, Katie. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Wow, what a way to finish the year. Am I right? Jen, don't worry. You definitely didn't waffle too much. We love the waffle. I was nodding along with all of the waffle. Um, I hope that you guys were yelling at your podcast um, and agreeing with everything that was said there. I know I was. Um, I'm going to be back in the new year in 2023 with some more cold coffee, no glue sticks and some more amazing educators to chat to. Until then, have a rest. Put the marking down, please. Get out of your classroom and get on the couch uh, and pour a very large gin and tonic or whatever you like. Um, Go and chill out, guys, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Happy Christmas.